and Brad and Rick decided to start a podcast, so now Brad and Rick also have a podcast. All right. So here we are. Brad and Rick also have a podcast. Podcast number two. I'm Brad. I'm uh, Manchild Rick Christensen of Ricky Timbo fame. And Brad and Rick also have podcast fame. And I'm Master B-Rad of, you know, Manchild Czar of PR fame. Yeah. Or something. Then there you go. And so as has now been established uh, due to extreme precedence of one episode of Brad and Rick also have a podcast. This is part of the Beyond Caring Global Podcast Network. And one episode that didn't really uh, work out. Yeah, well, you know, we're not going to talk about that. That's episode 1.5. That that will go into the special, like, Christmas edition re-release of the album that only comes out in Japan. Because in Japan, it's way more expensive, and you gotta, like, give them something to make it feel worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Know, yeah. That's That, that sounds uh, more than sufficient. All right, moving on. So moving on. So we've got a variety of interesting things to talk about here with you. Which the the first of which is the the pants that uh, Master B Rad and I are wearing right now, which are fantastic. And uh, we we had this mutual realization that this was a thing that we were doing and we needed to discuss it. So, Brad, what what would you? How would you describe the athletic leisure that you are experiencing right now on the podcast, sitting down here inside? These are a compound mesh and synthetic fiber blend. Uh, they are multi-layered. Uh, many would use them for performing athletic tasks. I am using them to sit here because, to me, that is practically an athletic task. Yeah, and I, I too, am wearing uh, the kind of you know shorts that a basketball player would wear if he was about to like dunk some serious sweet hoop shots or whatever it is that the sports ballers do. Uh, but I, too, am just sitting here inside in an air-conditioned and non-humid environment, and it's fantastic. You know, and, you know, thinking about that, these Penn, these Penn State University, you know, synthetic pants that I'm wearing, you know, for athleticism, that they might actually be part of a basketball uniform. I, I don't know. That's, they, they've been purchased so long ago, it's kind of lost to time. Yeah, see, we're, we're taking sportswear back for the podcaster. The podcasting is an extreme sport now. Like you might break a sweat if you get to be like talking real hard. Didn't didn't rap and hip hop musicians already do that? Yeah, but that's not a podcast. That's true. This it's different now. See, we're in my kitchen slash dining dining nook slash living room, not the studio. The studio is on the other side of that wall. That's true. If we were in that room, well, I'm pointing at my studio. That would not be taking it back for the podcaster. That would be, you know, taking rap back from the rapper, which we're not allowed to do for reasons that we're not going to go into. But aren't you, in fact, a rapper? Yeah. So I, yeah. So I would be taking it back for me, from me. And you, 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 you got to give yourself more credit than that. So I would be taking it back hard for yeah. me, by me. That's right. To keep it real. Yeah, sure. So anyway, I think that's probably all that we need to say about how athletically, leisurely we are recording this podcast right now. That I, I have something that uh, that I really need uh, to just <clears throat> throw out to the podcast world right now. I didn't run this past my uh, my podcast 
co-host here, but uh, I didn't really get a chance to do something really important uh, last week while the Beyond Caring uh, community was together out at Gen Con, and that's uh, to officially, on the internet, lay down uh, my trivia challenge uh, after my crushing defeat at the hands of one Tom Roberts and Beyond Caring Trivia. So, uh, many of the community has already kind of heard this, but I'm going to throw it out there right now for the internet to hear loud and proud. To the contest, proud and so bold He boasts and he roasts with a disrap so cold The Bratalope boils with confusion and rage A state he contends with each one of his days The champion is glorious, he gives all he has He gains the advantage and presses Brad back one moment of weakness, his art is surpassed. His moment of triumph snatched from his grasp. It slips through his hands, defeated by Brad. The champion of wisdom, his trial at its end. His will is defiant, his spirit is strong. For the star screen of knowledge, the champion fights on. Defeated, no solace he finds A clown as his trophy and rips at his mind He wonders and ponders Oh, where it went wrong Defending his honor He writes a new song His head held up high He calls out his foe Shocking the hosts of the trivia show the strongest contender that they could conceive Original man-child first of his breed He answered that challenge as only he could Attention distracted from his exploits with wood His heart cut the champion deep down to his bones Depicting the madness the clown alone knows The battle was legend, they fought till the end The contest that day left the man-child ahead The champion fought on, regardless the cost 
His trials were in vain In the end he had lost Here he stands defeated again The champion of wisdom The trial at its end His will is defiant His spirit is strong For the star stream of knowledge The champion fights on In shock and in horror he reels from the blow The voices inside him much louder they grow The clown in control now, sanity pass He'll capture the star scream to champion at last but no man is worthy to the champion's eyes His honor demands a most clever device Two men will be chosen and put to the test Defeating them both will put all doubt to rest Just Tony, so horrible, consider him now He screams enjoy Arby's, his nihilist vow the Cashman, so bold, with his chance at great fame Forever a spectator now joins the fray Three men will enter, no man shall leave One clown, one champion, one stuck in between The greatest of challenges, ultimate test the champion will put all his doubters to rest And then he will stand victorious at last The champion of wisdom, his trial at its end His will is triumphant, his spirit is strong For he is the true champion, all others are false And then he will stand victorious at I'll probably leave all this in there okay, as cool. well. So that's how we're going to know to play the track. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Beyond Caring Podcast. Beyond Network. Caring Podcast. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, you remember the track. You know exactly how this thing is going to go down. See, this is going to be a three-way trivia challenge between me, Just Tony, and Cashman. And I'm going to be walking away from that thing epically victorious. Because it's really... You know what's occurred to me, B-Red? I'm pretty sure I have an idea. So, in the first podcast trivia challenge between the two of us, um, you know, you, you of course, walked away from that one victorious with the Golden Star Scream. Yes. And I, and I have taken the clown, which you see lovingly displayed in my studio. Yes, it is terrifying. So that it can stare into my soul while I record sick beats. Which were so totally sick. So totally sick. So... You know, that was kind of like a contest of, of equals. Like, we, we came into that, we actually did pretty good. You know, you, you came out ahead, but, we, you know, it was it was evenish. It was a reasonably even <laughs> battle up until I apparently knew what art was. Yes, that was really my downfall is, uh, you know, being uncultured, as, as it happens in many things. So, you know, I realized at that point, I didn't shoot high enough. You know, like, I needed to, I needed to take on the champ. Like, I needed to go... Like, as bold as possible into the trivia challenge. So, I, you know, I challenged Manchild Prime, one Tom Roberts, and, uh, and he, you know, of course, came in and just kind of outmatched me at every turn. Yeah, he beat your ass real, real bad. Yeah, like, I basically <laughs> had no chance. Like, you weren't, I think, the, I think, you led the game once. 
Mm-hmm. And it was one question, and then never again. That's correct. I started strong, and then spoilers. <laughs> and then no, it's already out. It's cool. That's right. And this is on the same podcast network. It's yeah. So it's canon now. That's right. So uh, you know, I came out strong for like two questions, and then like had my ass uh, handed to me. But it was at that point that I realized again, you know, I just, I wasn't aiming high enough. Like, I need a grand challenge to rise to that occasion. So I'm thinking, you know, Tom was the, the cream of the crop in terms of the man-child hierarchy. So I, clearly, what's better than one primo man-child is like two less primo man-childs added together. See, my, my, uh, analysis of why you picked Cashman and just Tony is because you, although I'm gonna be honest, they both know such a random assortment of things, I'm not sure which one you were going for on this, but I think the idea being, you thought at least one of them was dumb enough that you have, you're a shoe in and the other one, even if you're not quite better than them, you still won't lose. Well, you know, that's the way that you would look at this if you didn't have the mind of a champion. You see, to the mind of the champion, which is me, the champion of those who have lost, the dis-champion, as has been discussed previously on Brad and Rick also have a podcast, number one, it's not about not losing. It's about being the champ. And how can I boldly show that I'm the champ even beyond Tom without beating two people at once? Well, see, I boldly showed that I was the champ by, in fact, winning. Yeah, the, like, that's one way to do it. Like, you could... You could just win if, if that's what you're into, but, like, I need to win harder than anyone's ever won before. Like, I need to prove my worth here by taking down not one but two man-childs. And that's a fair, that's a fair challenge, and I, you know, I'm gonna be honest, uh, I, uh, didn't really care that much about the last challenge, but this, this new one will be fascinating. I'm gonna have to tune in. So, so you you fully support and endorse this challenge? At this I do point, as a, as a co-host of a Beyond Carrying Podcast Network podcast. I do, in fact. Uh, this is B Rad approved. There, there you go. So we got a B Rad approved trivia challenge coming out to, uh, to you right now. So uh, just Tony and Cashman, you gird your loins because I'm coming for trivia. Stamp of approval. Stamp of approval. All right. Okay. So that being said. Everything in my house is broken right now, and it pisses me off. Let's, uh, I'd like, I think this will go into a segment we'd like to call Complaint Cacophony. Yeah, this is Complaint Cacophony, also known in my life as the Cavalcade of Clowns. Uh, so after being gone for two weeks at Gen Con, I come back to not one, not two, but three very distinct and important things in my home not working right. Uh, number one, an air conditioner that needs to be replaced. Number two, internet that is broken in a very hard fashion that requires not one, not two, not three, but four and counting in- <laughs> encounters with Cox Internet. And my. Who, who, by the way, are really living <clears throat> up to their name. Oh, they really are. Like, I've got multiple Cox right now going on, and I am not happy with it. Uh, so, so that's two. And then the third of which is the, uh, unfortunately, booze-soaked laptop of Gen Con Trip Home fame uh, that we're recording this on right now, so it's really not broken, I guess, as much as just not ever going to be the same. Yeah, it was it was clammed in the same, uh, in the same, you know, let's, uh, honey rum accident. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a distilled honey spirit uh, in, a, in a fairly small bottle that uh, decided that not only was it going to uncork itself, but uncork itself from being duct-taped closed in a very legitimate fashion. 
due to, I'm assuming the heat expansion due to the hot car and the uh, vapor pressure of alcohol. Which, by the way, I'm sure did, you know, is did wonders for the tensile strength of the adhesive built into that set duct tape. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I would have thought about this for more than, like, a hot second, I might have realized this was a terrible, terrible idea. As it turns out, the official repair kit of the 24 Hours of Lemons Racing League cannot hold up to the rigor of sun and liquor. Yep. And uh, so anyway, the the last three days of my life has just been me fighting clowns nonstop, and that does not seem to be uh, stopping anytime soon. So I'm looking forward to some some like fantastic additional clown fight f- for probably like the next two days, and then hopefully after that my shit won't be wrecked anymore. And uh, you know, I guess all I can do is salute you because it's only a matter of time until all that stuff in my 25 year old house goes too. That's correct. So you are now a homeowner, so you get to deal with uh, the occasional cavalcade of clown yourself. That's indeed correct. Uh, the, well, the one, the to date, the only major thing I've dealt with. Well, there were two things, but the major, the major thing I dealt with was that uh, my AC unit is so old and out of date that it seems to take approximately 10 hours to cool the house down from the what is supposedly an eco temperature to what we like to actually be at. Yeah. Which probably kind of defeats the whole purpose of it being on an eco setting to begin with. I will say that that was uh, pretty much like the beginning of the end for, for my clown situation here. Like, once it starts not being efficient anymore, like, it's either, like lacking some coolant or it's got a leak or something and then uh you know they just show up at your house and they're just like hey you know you thought that you were gonna have a good day but here's some clown yeah my my goal is uh just to proactively get mine replaced you know uh once the prices go down because nobody cares about air conditioning anymore because in a couple months here that's reasonable oh speaking of clown I think I understand the nature of what has happened here, because it really can't be a coincidence that I had to fight, like, five different clowns within two days, and uh, that I think it was down in Texas, or somewhere down in the south, there was there was an all-clowns screening of the new movie It, uh, kind of an early release kind of thing, of you could not come and watch the movie at this theater unless you were dressed or otherwise associated with the clown. Which does seem to touch us deeply in, you know, the uh, the way that we deal with problems. Yes, so so I believe that the clown's only screening of It, you know, a movie featuring, of course, not only a clown, but the original clown, was the, uh, I believe it has birthed just an onslaught of clowns into the world. And uh, listeners, take heed. If you have not encountered the clown since, be on the lookout because they may be right around the corner. Yeah, call call out to Alamo Draft House, uh, who is holding the clowns only screaming of uh, Stephen King's It. This was it in Texas. Uh, it's called Alamo. Uh, <laughs> it would be really amusing if it was in like New Hampshire, the Alamo Draft House. And all, all three screenings are exclusive <laughs> to their Austin, Texas location. There you go. So Austin, Locations. Texas. Oh, there so are multiple clowns. More than one, but they are all in Austin, Texas. And there's three. Three. I fought three clowns. You know, th- this is just evidence. This is this has been prophesized. Evidence is mounting. So yeah, thanks a lot, Alamo Clown Fest, because now it's come here, and now it's coming for the rest of the audience. Because if it got from Texas to DC, it's coming to you soon. And let's be honest. A part of me is happy that uh, this is going on the Beyond Caring Podcast Network, because that means the Alamo Draft House will not be tagged in this. 
Oh, of course, because, you know, <laughs> there is no tagging in the Beyond Caring podcast universe. Yeah, uh, really any effort whatsoever. <laughs> like, the, uh, for anybody out there in podcast land that hasn't seen their business cards, which is probably, I'm gonna bet, all of you, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it says probably don't listen on it, and has a non-functional QR code. <laughs> which, which is just the most perfect possible thing for the beyond caring podcast it does say beyond caring so if someone googles it it will it will show up somewhere oh. but you know so that's the uh that's our call out to our host network yep and there, that that's like the second call out we'll probably get some more call outs as we go we'll see maybe uh you know uh specific call out to uh it's brinker <clears throat> who is not here for the the first time and probably beyond caring podcast history like brinker is just not on a podcast He's, he's probably, like, aware of this happening right now. Like, his Vaguely. skin is vibrating. I mean, he paid for the equipment we're recording on, after all. That is true. Th- though I have a ridiculous recording setup 15 feet away from here. That costs probably 10 to 100 times more than what was paid for with this condenser mic we're using. You here. see, yeah, we have to pay homage to the Beyond Caring podcast legacy and use, like, this USB interface and this condenser mic right here. It seems to be working okay. Yeah, I mean, as far as the waveform says, I mean, I guess you can be the judge of that after the uh, remastering process. That's true. You being you and the podcast listeners. So, uh, so, so, Brad, we we've, we've been shooting the shit here a little bit, but I think we got we got kind of like a meat of the podcast here that we wanted to get into, which we we abortively attempted to do in podcast one point five, but we really like had a, a just. Small army of people around the table trying to do this, and it just didn't work out. And apparently, whenever our small army imbibes an amount of alcohol, they suddenly are more assertive with their speech than I can ever imagine I want to be. Yes, and uh, sometimes it can be a little bit hard to get a word in edgewise. See, and you know, whenever I'm guest starring <laughs> on another podcast and somebody prevents me from speaking, I mean, well, that's just par for the course. But my name is in this podcast. So a little part of me believes that I should probably actually speak in it. <laughs> just, just like maybe once or twice. Just a little like, bit, you that, know. That's a somewhat reasonable thing. But but anyway, so to, to reintroduce the audience to this concept, which you absolutely have not heard, um, you know, th- there's... Um, uh, let's just go back to, to square one. So so decades and decades ago, and perhaps even before that, th- there was... Uh, there's always been a awareness, I guess, for all of human history. There's been an awareness that we have different personalities. As as uh, you know, loyal podcast listeners to Brad and Rick also have a podcast, and the the, the lovely sixty minutes or so of of Brad B Rad and Ricky Timbo time that you've been exposed to, you can tell that we have different personalities. And you probably know some people in your life that have different personalities. Probably everyone. Uh, so uh, this guaranteed, is, as a matter of fact. Uh, th- this has not escaped the notice of human beings since pretty much the dawn of time. And specifically sociologists and psychologists. Yeah, so eventually we developed a level of culture and knowledge that we decided that we wanted to quantify these kind of things. We, we wanted to study them in depth, and, and thus, you know, the, the fields of sociology, psychology, all these uh, sort of professions have been trying to figure out how can we determine, you know, meaningfully what different personalities really look like. And, uh, you know, sometime in the last, I'm just going to say in the last hundred years or so, I'm not That's sure fair. exactly when Myers-Briggs uh, kind of got put together, but uh, 
a lot of this stuff sort of coalesced into a few different theories that were put together by a guy named Myers and a guy named Briggs uh, into the Myers-Briggs personality profiles, which generated a set of 16 unique personality types uh, associated with four different uh, kind of bimodal uh, types of personality, uh, which we can kind of go into here in a little and bit. It, and, and the understanding of those personality types became commonplace enough that here in the year 2017, which is at the so time of recording, we have actually gotten to the point where there are a number of websites uh, that just let you take a simple test based on how you'd react in a few situations and how you feel about it, and then it proceeds to give you a long, drawn-out description of uh, based on these principles of where your personality lies. And, of course, the idea being that if you understand your own personality and that of some of the people you're, you, you, know, you deal with regularly... It can actually breed understanding, and you'll have a better chance of, you know, not pissing them off or something like that, or even just getting along a little bit better. And in a way, it was really kind of put together, uh, I guess, for a variety of purposes. But one of the main ones is for business. So if you're a if you're a manager and you have 20 employees, you know, other than just really knowing to their core each one of your employees, which is really challenging to do, you can at least get a kind of baseline understanding of who's going to work well together. Who's going to bring what type of perspective to a project or a group? Um, if you're not in the traditional management structure, which now I imagine very few businesses really apply a you know top down, you work for this person on one thing and that's it. it, it places are generally pretty matrix now. Projects which involve different groups of people that uh, are not necessarily who they work with every day. It can be difficult to put the right eight people, say, on a project that are each going to add something unique to it. Uh, so... They came up with this kind of personality profile. And just to give you, Brad, an understanding of how far we've come, it's actually a a very coincidental visual aid. What I have here is it's a stack of Myers-Briggs type indicator personality material. This is a stack that's probably about half a foot tall. So, so Maybe closer to a foot, actually. Yeah, back about... uh, So this actually runs in my family. So my father actually did a lot of this kind of stuff as a professional back when he was working, say... 20, 25 years ago or so. And this is the way that they used to go and do Myers-Briggs. It was a, a paper a paper test, and you actually paid out the ass for these things. It was like, you know, tens of dollars per test that you paid to get these kind of materials. And, you, you know, you, you would sit there and, like, go through these things. They were all choreographed so that you tore different parts of it off, and it, like, did a lot of math and stuff for you. It was I actually al- somewhat complicated. I also see, interestingly enough, they appear to fold on the right instead of the left. Yeah, because you fill it out, it's got, like, graph, graph um, like, carbon paper ah. in here, so it, it, as you fill bubbles out and things, it would fill in columns for you to add things up. Oh. So the, the well, process that's, makes, of, that's neat. Yeah, the process of actually doing all these questions and then figuring out what your appropriate personality profiles are is, is a little complex. So we've gone from that and, you know, a stack of books on, like, how to interpret things and what these various, like, type indicators are. So basically you went to basic, you went, we went from having to basically obtain a degree or, you know, at least a degree level course knowledge, course knowledge uh, to get these tests and get the results to anybody being able to go to a, just a website on the internet, take a quick online quiz that takes about five minutes and then for free, I don't even recall there being ads on the site, actually. Yeah, I don't think uh, so. And other than for the site itself. Yeah, other than the for the site itself, yeah. <laughs> and uh, then it just pops out, you know, a de- detailed description of everything. Uh, 
and that's just very nice, you know. So we, so it's just we've gone so far as a society that we can move from something that great, that that incredibly complicated. They're just taking something similar to an online poll, and then it uh, just pops out exactly what you are. Yeah, and and I think this is still kind of an industry. Like people come in to do these types of things for businesses. There's there's always an evolution in the way that uh, you know business looks at personalities and skills and all that. I'm sure that. There's, there's probably in the in the thousands of listeners in the Beyond Carrying podcast universe. I'm sure there's some professional that's just screaming at their radio or you know whatever it is that people I mean, listen to. I mean, thousands over the entire life of the podcast, maybe. Yeah, so including someday, doubles. Get integrated into the infinite future. The the Beyond Carrying podcast is going to be listened to by some professional who's just screaming at it like, now that's not the way that we do business now in the year 2223, when this will of course still survive and be listened to on a regular basis. Call out to archive.org? Yes, call out to archive.org. I'm, I'm assuming that archive.org just, like, puts all of their information in some kind of cold glacial storage location so that when the end times come, archive.org is existing forever? Uh, that's something to research. Uh, you know, maybe some, one of the other members of the Beyond Caring podcast universe might just know that off the top of his head. Yeah, perhaps one of the members of the core Beyond Caring podcast can holier than thou like uh, explain how we were like super wrong about this on on your next podcast and like get the fizz over it, as I'm sure you're already doing in your own mind. Like before we even remaster and release this in a way that allows you to hear it, Adam. See, they don't know which yeah, Adam I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, Wait. so yeah, then they'll <laughs> do that thing and get the fizz. Yeah, exactly. Well, at any rate, we're uh, we're we're digressing a bit, uh, as as one does. Yes, uh, beyond caring podcast, whatever. So, uh, Rick and I have both, of course, taken these tests, and uh, basically, uh, it's it, it. I think it's an enlightening, uh, you know. Uh, description of the way that, you know, each of our personalities works within reason. Um, so, just to, just to start out, uh, basically, uh, when you get right down into it, uh, this our preferred website for this is uh, just because of ease of use and all that, and the fact that it's free, as I already noted. A little shout-out coming here. Is uh, 16personalities.com. And I was actually exposed to this, uh, I, I it may have been earlier than that, but I was exposed... Exposed to this, uh, some, uh, you know, around September of last year, uh, by a, uh, mutual friend, uh, by a friend, friend of mine, whatever. Oddly enough, she was trying to hook me up with my still now girlfriend, and we're very happy together. Uh, and, uh, basically, she had us both take these tests, which at the time seemed a little creepy, but, you know, in the long run, it seemed to work out nicely. Because basically we both took these tests, so, so she's a little bit more introvert. She's a, she's more introverted. I'm more extroverted. And there's all these different categories that you know talk about the different ways that our mind work works. And uh, it sort of uh, helped get us in the right mentality from the start. That whenever you know the way that we need to think about the way the other thinks, and you know basically it helps to men talk about compatibility and all that. And it actually worked out very nicely in my opinion. And uh, so. That's actually when I found out about it, and from there I was intrigued because it seemed to work very well in the way that everything went together. Basically, what it is, is it assigns four four values to you and then gives you a basically a wild card value at the end. 
Uh, so the Myers-Briggs actually is 16 personalities, basically. And then the website also throws a wild card out at you to show how well it applies to you or how well you're going to actually act out these. Uh, basically, that wild card is rather you are uh, assertive or turbulent. So basically, if you're assertive, that means you, you know, basically you're really out there about all of this stuff and you kind of push yourself into things, you know, the word assertive. Turbulent means you just kind of, you have more internal conflict about it, I would say. And then, you know, or basically you're self-conscious and sensitive to stress as opposed to being assertive where you just push yourself out there. But the core values that the, that it talks about, or rather you're extroverted or introverted, intuitive versus observant, thinking versus feeling, uh, judging versus prospecting, and uh, basically each you, you're, you're assigned a percentage on either side of it, and then depending on where you're at, that shows you the general idea that you, and the way you think. Yes, and and <clears throat> thank you, Brad, because you've you've proven a couple things here. Um, one is that the internet in 2017 is like way easier to find relevant information than pouring through books. As, as Brad has been talking you through this, I've been trying to find in one of the books that I've had stacked up here what the definition of the four different types is. So, uh, two things have been proven here: the internet is really helpful at like finding some general relevant information, but but digging down into a into a well-written book, you can find that next level of content, which you can also find on the internet, given a little bit of uh, work. So I'm going to take you just like one level deeper here. <clears throat> so what we're talking about in the four types is, um, let's see, let's start with the EI. So in, in the order that these are generally presented is uh, extroversion, introversion, which is about uh, your attitude towards others and where you get your energy. So... You have an attitude towards others and are energized by either extroversion or introversion. Which is actually the way this describes it on the site when I'm looking through it. Right. Oh, okay. So you're basically saying that my book is, is worthless. Okay, no, that's cool. I got it. No, you're right. 2017 is pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to the kind of Information second... Age. <laughs> uh, sensing intuition, it's about how you attend to and take in data. So how do you kind of perceive the world around you? Um, let's see. The uh, T and F is how do you process that information and make decisions based on it. Uh, and then your uh, J or your P is your mode of meeting the world around you. So how do you just as a as a whole kind of interact with the world? So uh, you've got these four. Some of those kind of sound similar, but they're, they're unique in some kind of uh, interesting ways. So it's Attitudes towards people, your energy, how do you perceive data, how do you process data, and then how do you interact with the world around you. So between those four different type indicators, you get these 16 specific varieties, but within those you also have sort of classes of individuals, uh, mostly kind of focused around the uh, perceiving and processing information, which really obviously kind of go together to form a couple unique types. So... That, that theme will come out here as we continue the discussion. And uh, sites such as 16personalities.com, uh, when you take the test, it, I don't know, here's the thing I haven't ever researched. Like, I wonder, like, the different types of personalities that it assigns. Like, I was assigned, after I took the test, ESTP-T. Mm -hmm. Now, the wild card at the end, that's the T for turbulent, that's, again, just kind of... That's not, you know, in all the scientific studies. That's just something the website gives you to try to tie it together. Honestly, probably so they can say they added something to it also. Mm -hmm. But either way, it does actually make a degree of sense the way it works out. Yeah. Uh, so I was always, I was kind of wondering if, uh, 
in your stack of textbooks here, if the idea of the ESTP being referred to as the entrepreneur, if that's a thing, or if if that name was just fabricated by the site to try to help uh, you know, foster understanding. Give me a second here. And we did not <clears throat> prepare for this at all. I'm asking him this for the first time E-S-T-P. live on the pre-recorded podcast. Oh, I'm good, though. I know how to use a table of contents. All right, 121. I, these are probably... Um, Mm. Maybe not. Not in this book. Uh, I think some of these names are... They're not... These were not named, I don't think. Like, in the original personality indicators, they didn't, like, come up with catchy names for, for these things, necessarily. Okay. Like, the, the letters have been standard, and I think some of the uh, internal... Like, for, for example, um, I was talking about this. I, I did find the, the relevant section here. So... The, the, the center two letters, uh, the, the way that you perceive and process information, there's four general types. The uh, NTs are the rationals, or uh, I think sometimes called analysts. Uh, they call the SPs the artisans, the SJs the guardians, and the NFs the idealists. So each one of those, um, they, they have a... And, and there's, there's... This gets kind of wonky, but just even within those genres you have kind of these breakdowns of like your nfs and sjs are focused on affiliation consensus social values nts and sps are pragmatists they much more autonomous uh care about power you know try to get things done and then in the nfnt column you've got uh kind of a abstraction consciousness so kind of a left brain right brain kind of thing and then on the sj sp uh, you've got kind of a concrete kind of nature of things. So anyway, the way that you kind of go about your thinking and processing is really kind of uh, in those two middle letters. So again, you'll see some of that coming out as we well, go. Well, is that where this web the website's uh, saying like uh, it says the code, which is ESTP for me? Uh, it says my role is an ex- is explorer, and my strategy towards that is social engagement. Mm-hmm. So basically, that means that my goal is to explore and try to find things out. And the way that I do that is by engaging myself into social situations. Right. So, so okay. We can just go through it real quick. So I guess what we'll do, we'll start with Brad. I'm going to psychoanalyze Brad using uh, my my somewhat uh, less than perfect ability to uh, dig through this mountain of paper in front of me. Um and I will and, and try use... to figure out. Actually, with with no knowledge and just a very little bit of information, I'm going to make some terrible judgments about Brad. That's going to make this interesting. So I'm just going to use this little table right here and what I think it means. Won't so. be the first time someone did it. Sure as hell won't be the last. <laughs> so so anyway, so Brad, you are an ESTP. Reportedly ESTP. Yes. All right. So so you're an extrovert. So first and foremost, like what that means is that you like being around people. It doesn't I necessarily do. mean that you're outgoing. I think you are outgoing, but that's not what that means necessarily. You know, you just get energized by being with people. Like like I can be in a room full of people and well, less so now than I used to be, but it used to be I would just I could just gladly go to a restaurant or a bar even if I'm just going by myself. I can just I can just be the guy that's sitting there just starting conversation with people and just feeding my enjoyment and life off of that. Right. 
And and so that that one's kind of obvious. Like people generally know what an introvert and an extrovert are. Yeah. I think this takes it to a bit of a deeper level of it's not just about how outgoing you are. It's kind of about where you get your kind of source of energy. Like can you sit in a room by yourself and not talk to another person all day and just like feel energized by getting stuff done? Or is that draining for you? Like it's more it's probably more draining. Now granted I don't mind it sometimes because you know there's plenty in this in this information entertainment rich world that we live in, you know, effectively you're never alone, even if you're not talking to somebody. But uh. actually, like, brings up a kind of interesting point of, um, like, in 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 today's world where you can be kind of quote unquote alone in a room all day, but you could also be surrounded by people. Like, you could have text messages going on, emails. You could have, you know television on where you're watching people socially engage like do you is that really for an introvert being alone or is it kind of like being around people it i I imagine that that's not as clear-cut as it might have been like back when a lot of this stuff was first put together where like they had tv they could watch and radio and things like that but the the interconnectedness of just the internet and everything else basically being able to pick up your pick up a magic space device from the future that fits in the palm of your hand and talk to pretty much anybody you've ever met at the at the, merely because you decided you wanted to. Yeah. That pretty much causes this world to be an extroverse paradise. Or yeah, or just to like have people talk at you. Like you don't even necessarily <clears throat> control. And in that same vein, that's why it also that's why it can also help introverts out nicely. Because basically you can be as involved as you want to be. I think it, it can allow introverts to kind of have their tendencies and not have to fight them, but still be able to participate in society and participate in groups. Yes, indeed. But the world has to kind of suck if you're a strong introvert and, like, you really... It's hard for you to get some time away from that kind of shit. Basically, the only way to do that is to find a cabin where you don't get a cell phone signal and just go off the grid. Yeah. So, uh, I didn't say it yet, but I'm not one of them, so... I don't have to deal with that. Yeah, I, as much as I as much as I kind of like the idea of getting away, I'll admit it was a happy day of my life whenever uh, one of our friends brought a hot spot to the, the deserted cabin in the woods we like to go to, and we suddenly had internet there for the entire week we went away. Yeah, that was helpful. So anyway, uh, so that's introvert, extrovert for Brad. So you're an ESTP, so you're S. So the, the way that you attend to and take in data, so you are sensing. So... What that says to me, now, I'm just going to, here's going to be my, my little asterisk to everything I'm about to say. So I'm an ENTJ, and you're an ESTP. So this is where we are different. But I'm going to tell you what I think this means. Okay. All right. So what I think this means is that when you see something, or like you, you take in data from your senses somehow, if you read something, see something, or in a conversation... You just take it in and hear it and just allow it to become part of what you know. So basically, if I observe something, I assume that that is now completely true. Right. Like, it, like if I just, if I look at you right now and I say, this brew kid's tasting glass is black. Yeah. You, you just kind of hear me saying that and then you say, all right, Rick has told me that this brew kid's tasting glass is black. I look at it. Yes, there's black text on the brew kid's tasting glass. That's just the way that you're, like, you, that's just the way that your mind is working. Yeah. Like, does that sound about right? Yeah. Okay. So, that's just a completely rational and normal way of taking in data. And then, so you also are a T, so you are a, you're thinking. 
So pretty much the next step of thinking you, as opposed to as opposed to as opposed to feeling. Yeah. So as you take in that data, which is okay, so he's told me this is a, a black cup, it's got black text on it. So now you're gonna think about that thing. And you're gonna say, okay, so what what does that mean to me? So that so this is a this is a mass produced glass. Uh, black ink is a thing that I'm aware of in this world. It makes sense logically that that can be the case. So I'm not being mistaken. I now thought about it, and that glass is absolutely black, and I accept that. Right. Okay. And then the last piece here is P. So that's perception instead of judgment. So the way that you meet the world around you. So this is the one. This is the trait I'm not sure I understand as much. Not that I disagree with it, but I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm not going to say I understand it either, but I'm going to act like I do real quick. So That is your job at work, right? So again, what I think this means for you is you've taken in this data, you've thought about it. In your head, you've got a lot of thoughts about that thing. But that doesn't necessarily mean, yeah, that you are going to, like, act immediately on all the thoughts that you have on that thing. Like, you are not going to comport yourself. So here's an example. Like, you might take all this information in and say, okay, this is a black uh, printed cup. Rick has said this is a black printed cup. So in in your head, you might be thinking, okay, he's telling me this. Does he think that I don't know that? Um, Why is this an important fact? Uh, Is there some significance to it? You're going to think through all of these possible things very rationally. You're going to logically try to think through the data. But then at the end of the day, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to immediately change your actions or integrate that knowledge into like a different way of like going through the rest of whatever that interaction is. You're just, you have now brought that in and you understand it and you just kind of move forward. Does that make sense? I, yeah, I could see that. I'm sure somewhere in the like 500 pages of this book in my hands, there's a much better explanation. I'm clicking on the judging versus prospecting section on the 16 personalities. Oh, okay. So, so now we're also going to prove that the internet is way more efficient than this book. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The tactic <laughs> scale determines how we approach planning and available options. This affects more than just our calendars. At its core, this scale determines our attitude towards certainty and structure in our lives, both at mental and physical levels. All right. Uh, people with the judging trait do not like to keep their options open. They would rather come up with five different contingency plans and just go ahead and deal with the challenges as they come. They prefer clarity and structure, always going with the plan rather than the flow. And as you gotta... read that, as you read <laughs> that, you're like smiling, like, man, what a bunch of assholes. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely not you. Yeah, that's not how I uh, how I tend to roll. Uh, so basically. Uh, so yeah, that's that's basically judging, but you know, the idea. In contrast, prospecting individuals are much more flexible and relaxed when it comes to dealing with both expected and unexpected challenges. They're always scanning for opportunities and options, willing to jump at them at moments' notice. Basically, that's the uh, that's the idea in our group where we don't tend to plan things out too far ahead. And uh, even if individual members of our group might be more on the judgmental side of that of this ladder here. The group, our group on the whole, acts on perpetual jazz time, and we will change our plans on a dime and be irritated when other people aren't willing to do so. That is, that is true. So even though that might not be you personally, 
You seem to go very. You at least put that aside when you're with the when you're with the Manchild crew. Well, perhaps I've taken this Inception to another level, and I have a contingency plan in place for every dumb shit that all of you <laughs> assholes are gonna want to do. It just always works out just well enough that you don't have to. So, so all right. You have the internet. I have this book. So I am gonna try to analyze you right now based on what what we just heard in that you are an ESTP. So. Here's here's how I think your life works. And you're going to do this for me later this using the internet. And this is going to be great. <clears throat> so, I think that your life kind of works like you like to be in a social situation. Like, you like to be around people. Uh, you're kind of energized by stuff happening around you. Like, yeah. that's kind of where where you get your, your day-to-day kind of energy from. Uh, and that in the process of doing that and interacting with not just people, but things, like people and things and information, you just kind of like to take all this stuff in, and then you just allow it to kind of be a part of kind of all this stuff that you know. Like, you don't take in, like, a news article and then immediately react to it or um, have that motivate something. It's You just like to take in knowledge. Like, you seek it out and you just put it inside you. And then you just think about it. I think you do a lot of thinking. Like, you do a lot of sitting, not necessarily sitting, but just kind of thinking as you are just going through life and coming up with stuff that I don't think you act on. I think you have a lot of stuff going on in your head that never really comes out in speech or action. It just kind of lives up there, and then you're just kind of going with the flow. And that's where that... And I'm going to go along with you on that because that was pretty close, except, you know, I was pretty, pretty good. But that, that wild card the card at the end that the 16 uh, yeah, personalities so talk, like talk to put into that. place, yeah. I think where that comes into play is that I'm on the more turbulent side of things, uh, which, you know, actually seem, I'm very commandingly on the turbulent side. Yeah, you were, you were like really strong T, if I remember correctly. You big yeah. T, perhaps. Yeah, giant T. Giant was, uh, T. 81% turbulent versus 90, 19% uh, assertive. Mm-hmm. So basically, all these various ideas <clears throat> swirling around in my head, uh, as soon as I'm around someone else that pushes themselves a little, you know, into the situation harder than I do, I just kind of let those let those ideas in my head fizzle out, and then just go with the direction that's going. Which also goes along with the fact that I I'm on the more flexible side, and will just change my plan on a dime if that seems to be the direction it's going. So me being more turbulent than assertive with my plan, that also although that allows that that kind of goes along with me being flexible in the way I'm going. That also causes me to get inherently irritated very frequently. I, I'm actually, I'm understanding that now because I, this is, I'm feeling very much like Myers-Briggs is awesome right now because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I looked at these letters and I tried to understand Brad and I think I'm starting to kind of understand some shit because like you've got, you might have 10 good ideas in your head that you've thought about and you've said, all of these would be things that are good. And then someone else comes in and they're like, hey, here's idea 11. And you're like, I haven't even thought about idea 11. And idea 11 seems like dumb compared to the 10 things that I'm thinking. But you're not, you're not like naturally inclined to put that stuff out there. So you're just like, fuck it. We'll just go with idea 11. And I'm just going to sit here and think about how all my ideas might have been better. And then, you know, whenever we get halfway through idea 11 and it's failing, 
I get really irritated and get in the, well, I mean, I got, I get the internal monologue about, well, I told you so, damn it. Do you have a lot of conversations with other people in your head? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Yes. They don't, they're not, they're not always fully dialogue. Like, it's not the, it's not a play. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, like you recall, you recall this moment, for example, back when, uh, like the, the chief man child in our group, early on in my friend, friend relationship with this man, I found it so difficult to talk to him that I planned out my conversations ahead of time in my head as close to a play as I could based on what I thought he was going to say and all that, because just the way he reacts to things that he's does that he's not quite with, at least at the time just pained me in having to come up with ways to respond to them. And the most comical way that broke, of course, is whenever I called him, I had this firmly planted in my head as now we were going to do this. And then then his dear wife answered, and my mind blew. <laughs> I could not speak English. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, that 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 perhaps is an example of what you, of the of what you're talking about. The most extreme and literal example, but nonetheless, that's the example. All right, so that is that is pretty awesome. So, okay, I think for for the time being, then we can um, so we can move on. And uh, Brad just ran away, I think, to get another beverage, which he's also going to get me because he's he's a good guy like that. So <clears throat> now that Brad has the internet, and we've already touched on some of this, but I think, Brad, uh, I'm going to tell you what I am, and then you tell me what you think it's like to be me as a... All right, you ready for this? ENTJ-A. Right, so, so. I, I, I tried to pull up while you were talking. I got it here, if you want I was following along well enough. So you said... Uh, ENTJ-A. All right, find in page. Yeah, so anyway... the. In in the parlance of the sixteen personalities, uh, the the yours was the what were you called entrepreneur? You're the entrepreneur. This is the commander. Yes, I'm seeing this personality. Which by that name alone, and my not and my understanding and experience with you existing, that nickname on its own really seems to fit. <laughs> like you, uh. You 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 seem to be very good at just taking command of situations if you deem them if you deem such an action necessary. And and honestly, having read before we just even jump into this, having read some of the more like business uh, oriented things about my personality type, some of the uh, the cautionary things written in there are just like, hey, you don't seem to know how to not try to take charge of things. You should be aware of that because that's not always good. And I have definitely found myself to have that inclination. So yeah, this says natural-born leaders. You embody the gifts in, of charisma and confidence. You have confidence to a destructive level. Sometimes I've noticed. Well, didn't weren't wasn't your wasn't <clears throat> like wasn't the percentage on yours actually like commandingly assertive like for so, the wild card at the end? So my dash A was like ninety eight percent. Yeah, like you were as assertive as you could be, just about. During the episode 1.5, the most obnoxious member of our group, who, as it turns out, is also one of the most introverted, which you never know, because the his wild card was 100% assertive. So he, this is just Tony, of course. Oh yeah, that was he Tony. jammed his his lack of desire to be in a in a like he. 
I don't understand him really, but basically, <laughs> and it's funny because Tony and Brinker were the same. Like yeah. they were the same personality, and Tom and I were essentially the same. And there are no like I think there's no better example of how different two people with the same personality can be is is other than looking at one Adam Brinker of Beyond Caring, one just Tony of uh, Nihilism Productions. <laughs> I don't know. And and the difference between Chief Manchild Tom and you, uh, yeah. Rick, because uh, basically I could. I actually kind of had trouble believing that Tom got that. Like, I almost thought when he took that test that he, he must have just answered it the way he wanted himself to be instead of what he actually was. But let's just, let's just for a minute say that he took it completely honestly. It's just, he has had different life experiences with you, which has called him, caused him to be a bit more jaded towards humanity, I think, than you. So whereas you still thrust yourself out there and completely pull... you. You take command of every situation, you thrust yourself out there, and all that. He would just rather not bother with, you know, Moe's. That's the way he reacts to it. See, one of the things that I think about your personality type is that time is time, you know, life is too short to be wasting time on things that aren't going to result in some, you know, direction or some, you know, success. So basically, that's a, that, you and Tom share that, I think. It's just that you, uh, I think I'm kind of rambling here. We should oh, probably get fine. back on but, topic. But so, bit, but. <clears throat> I think um, the NT personality type, the analyst personality type, is is all about, to me, at least, like, when you, like, you can't see some piece of information or learn about something without kind of immediately trying to understand how it fits into the rest of everything that you know. So, I'm going to use this as my excuse card for, like, this is why I'm shitty at trivia. <laughs> because, like, I see some fact, and, and the fact is never just something that I care about by itself. It's like, how does this fit into the broader picture of, like, everything that I know and understand, and how am I going to act on it? Like, I'm always immediately going from new knowledge or new per uh, perception to, okay, what am I going to change? Like, what does this mean? And, like, kind of trying to analyze it. And a lot of times, the fact itself just gets kind of, like, lost. Like, I don't, I'm not going to remember that so-and-so, like, fought in some battle in 18-whatever-whatever. Whatever. I'm going to, I'm gonna like, say, oh, this thing happened in this general location, and that fit into this broader conflict in this way. Or, um, you know, this type of, of wood is really hard. So I'm not going to remember, like, oh, this is the second hardest kind of wood. I'm going to remember, oh, there's a wood that has these properties, and that meant that these things were made that way. Which, that 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 idea, now granted, this is going to go towards Tom again, but, like, Tom has told me time and time again that he tends to see the whole picture rather than details therein. Mm -hmm. Like, he's the kind of person where they could update, like, they could update one of the applications he uses every day, to have the send button say something else and be a completely different icon and even be in a different spot. But since he's so used to just seeing the whole picture and analyzing it at each time, basically, there's an off chance he wouldn't even notice that it changed, even though he has to click a different spot and it says something different. Mm -hmm. Because his mind reasons on the spot that that's what that button does, so why even bother filling in the blanks off to get there? Yeah, and, and it's that kind of stuff where, though Tom and I are extremely different people... 
I recognize a lot of those kind of core characteristics that like you're describing there in myself because that's the kind of thing that I could see myself absolutely doing. And see, that's a uh, and <clears throat> whereas one of the extremes that go- that goes to on him is that whenever he's reading like an English sentence that he wrote out and it's just full of typos and spelling mistakes, he sees that the sentence makes a degree of sense. Like he can see what he was getting across. And he doesn't even notice all the grammar in there. You're di- you're you analyze such a thing differently. That perhaps right. is maybe a strength you've worked through or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. The, the personality types are by no means supposed to be, say that like this person and this person are the same. Right? If they have the same kind of personality, it's it's much more <clears throat> a broad brush of the way that you perceive, process, and interact with people and things, and like the way that you are going to fit into a group. Not so much who you are. Because basically, like, on the on that other end of the spectrum, how, uh, I, I don't remember what they got for their test, but they were both introvert, but just Tony and, and, uh, and Adam Brinker, they both, they both got something that was introverted and through, but I don't, I, I don't remember what they were. I think they were ends, if memory serves, because it struck me that we had a lot of intuitives in our group, and, and the intuitive personality type is somewhat rare. And, yes, that's and right. And the thinking personality group is somewhat rare. And we actually had a number of analysts and a good number of intuitives, which is not something that you would statistically expect to see in a group of people that have self-organized. And that was another thing that was irritating about that episode <clears throat> one and a half, because it was so filled with chaos that I felt like it would have been really difficult to actually get the what we've accomplished out there in it. Yeah, what has been learned? Like, there's no way that could have been edited, edited in a p- way that would have made that useful. But we really broke some ground in that, because like you said, like, our group is unique in what we can, I, I could say, in what we can accomplish, because we have uh, a bunch of special thinkers, you know, in the group, because things that are supposed to be relative rarities, somehow we were drawn to, e- to, drawn to each other as friends, and that that could possibly add to why our group is so unique among you know when people when when we meet randos you know out in the crowd and they see the way we operate amongst each other that might be because we have a bunch of these relatively rare personality types that at all odds are just working together here yeah it's actually <clears throat> i think that the um like the es and the is if memory serves are are fairly kind of common like a lot of there's something like 30 or so percent of the population, I think, that are in a couple of the, like, ES uh, personality types. Like, a lot of people are kind of outgoing, extroverted, like to be around people and just kind of take things in. Uh, but there's just not a whole lot of N's and there's not a whole lot of T's. I think the J's and the P's and the E's and the I's are about 50-50, but the ones in the middle are much more slanted. Yeah, I'm a... What was I? ES... TV. Yeah, you're an ES. Yeah, ESTP was me, right? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so um, we did another interesting thing while we're just kind of like rolling here, which is Brad and I both took this test thinking that we were the other person. So like Brad took the test like he thought I would take the test, and I took the test like I thought Brad would take the test. And we actually got some somewhat interesting results from that, which were pretty close but different in, I think, some very right. unique ways. And I believe yours was, <clears throat> was even, like, just because of what was different, I felt like yours was closer. What I thought you were was closer than what you thought I was. 
So, so when you took the test as me, um, you got ENTP. I believe it was a dash A, because yeah, yeah. how could it not be a dash A? <laughs> <clears throat> Which means, really, the only difference between me taking the test as me and you taking the test as me was the perceiving slash judging. Yes. And in the dis- and this this I thought was fascinating. In the description of the personality type, the the difference between that ENTJ and ENTP, to me at least, made it seem like going from being like a leader of groups and like somebody who just takes charge of a situation to a complete asshole. (laughs) Just the guy who just needs to be right and is a know-it-all and is like always trying to just argue with people, which which I think is just, it's showing that when... You took the test as me. You came out as, like, the asshole personality. <laughs> Which, again, was what I thought you were. But I don't... See, I don't I don't take you as an asshole. But that being said, you do have your tendencies where you can just kind of flip a switch in your mind or something, and then just what you do ends up complete asshole somehow. <laughs> I, I do recognize a portion of myself... In the ENTP, and I do believe that there is a switch sometimes where I go from just trying to, like, take things in and, like, act accordingly to taking things in, thinking about them, and then just talking about them or throwing them and debating people about shit as opposed to trying to do something gainful with, like, what I believe are insights into the current situation. Because that's the perceiving versus judging. Versus judging. Which, again, was that, that, that seems to be the hardest one for me to grasp, but, but basically... I would think judging is based more on your past experience it, and what you're... It's, it's the way that you use all this stuff that's going on in you and, like, engaging with the world around you. So it's two sides of the scale of, like, all the stuff that's going on in your head. Because, okay, the the EI is just about you and your energy and the way that you deal with people, I guess. The two in the middle are just all inside your own head in the way that you work as a thinking being. And the last one is really important, which is, okay, how do you take that whole package and then present it out to the world? Like, how do you act accordingly? And so switching that actually changes fairly substantially, like, the way that this is all going to work. Because, you know, you take this package and you use it to kind of try to assert yourself gainfully into a situation or use that package, and then use it to just be a part of the situation. Yeah, so, like, I don't... I, I think it was that when I was taking the test, I was looking at the more extreme you, as opposed to the one that probably gets you money made every day at work. The, the Maybe me, I'm wrong. Maybe you were the asshole the t- you is the one you get paid to be. No, but- you, you were taking the test as, like, me lacking fucks. Like, when I, when I get out of fucks, that's generally how I roll, but normally I'm not. Like, All normally right. I have at least a handful of fucks left. Alright, so we figured out <laughs> that apparently my perception of you, or, like, my experience of you is, is as yeah. such. Now, the, the good thing is, you got the in-here part right. Like, I'm pointing to myself for the listening audience. Like, you got how my mind works exactly right. Just, it's like the how do I, how do I engage and, with the rest of the world. And maybe, maybe something could be said that when you're around me or your friends, you're a bit more unhinged. That's awesome. So, that's why that last step ended up being different in a you know at the moment that I happened to be pretending to be you. <laughs> that may very well be true. So, so, so yeah, when I how, did this how, as you, so how how does your perception differ from what I actually was? So when you does as, the same change? Uh, actually, yeah, 
Because you as you is ESTPT, me as you is ESTJ. So whereas you switched my J to a P, I switched your P to a J. So it's the same exact change, but in the opposite direction. And in fact, I'm going to go and try to find that real quick because um, I'm interested in, in the description of like what that is. The uh, E-N-T... E-S-T-J, you mean? J, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let me... Uh... So yeah, we're now, gonna... The, as, as nice as this 16 personality site is... Yeah, this I is have the noticed executive. One li- yeah, I did notice that one one limitation is that <laughs> it describes what you achieved on your test far better than it generally describes the uh, the actual uh, general general personality type. So you actually have to read and understand it before you can, you know, go step by step through it, but... Yeah, if I remember, I'm just going to hearken back, because I remember I got this same thing in episode 1.5, and my my take on it at the time, given a little bit more reading and thought, was that my perception of you was your perception of you in your own head. Like, the, I think my view of what's going on in Brad is is right, which is actually... Correct. In Which, this. according to the uh, then what 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 the test said, yeah, yeah. So so when I was taking this test as you, I was taking it like what I think is going on inside Brad's head is actually coming out into the world, not necessarily the way that it actually happens on a day to day basis. Like th- because yeah, that that switch being flipped of yeah, I got it. I'm in your head, but I'm not acting like you. Which I think is it's telling that both of us had this exact same thing of. We got the first parts right. We got the how do you roll, but we were unable to break out of our how do we engage with the rest of the See, world. I actually think the way you said that is the opposite because it's not how you roll because how you roll is how you exist in the world. Mm-hmm. Like you got your internal monologue as to what's going on. It's just how you ended up rolling out into the world and acting on that is where we di- where we differed. So basically, what I believe inside of myself that should be occurring is not necessarily what I end up acting on, which I guess is the idea. What's interesting, then, is that the turbulent versus assertive bit, we were still both dead on with. That was still the same. Yeah, I think we, we nailed those. I don't know. It would be... <laughs> it's it's It might be lost to time right now, but it'd be interesting to see just how far off the numbers were on the test we took for each other. But Well, I mean, mine, when I took it, was... I don't have your like, test anymore. Extremely but. high... And uh, when I took it for you, I have it in my email, but I think it was like in the 70s, high 70s or something. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't fill in another email uh, for the one I took as you. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I should have used Manchild Brew. I should have used Rick at ManchildBrewing.com as the email for me taking it as you. Do I actually have an email at ManchildBrewing.com? I can make that if you want. Yeah, I mean, sure, why not? I'm going to put it on business cards that have a broken QR code. I can just have it be a simple DNS or redirection to your uh, whatever email you want. Buddy. Well, there you go. So we can, maybe we'll do that. See me after class. Yeah. So at any rate, I feel like we, we broke some serious ground on the uh, the personality test thing. It's a, So basically, my, my, my thought with this is that it's, a very, it's very fascinating. You can actually even look up... And one of the business applications of this is that it's actually... This is actually an established enough theory that uh there are actually full articles written on how two different two people of different personality types should be able to interact and get along rick is probably about to pull a book out that does that uh, this try. one book that he's holding is very thick so there's a chance it does go over each of this maybe there's a chap but you know 
So basically, uh, like early in my relationship, whenever our uh, my, me and my girl, my now girlfriend's uh, mutual friend hooked us up, as it would be, uh, she gave us an article that indicated how how a relationship between my personality type and her tested personality type would work out, and it actually was kind of enlightening as to show you how you should approach like certain conversations and certain topics. And in the business world, that can work for any uh, other any of another set of obvious applications therein as well or thereof. So, basically, the conclusion here I think is that uh, go to sixteenpersonalities.com. That's the site we endorse because it seems to work out nicely for it seems to have worked out nicely for us. And uh, take the test; it might be eye opening. Now, if you now if you if you take the test and all your numbers are firmly in a percentage like or like very far, like to the one end of each spectrum in each characteristic, because as as I think it's been discussed, it actually assigns a percentage for where you fall on each yeah, hierarchy from from zero to a hundred. It's like whereas the wild card is the only one really mentioned for me. I'm actually uh, most of mine are actually fairly far far to the sides as well. It's just that. Uh, yeah, it's it's just that some of them are kind of close to like Rick's. Some of Rick's were close to the, the middle, the which closer, means on any given day, there's a chance he wouldn't actually be that personality type per se. The the handful of times that I've taken a Myers Briggs, like legitimately on the old school kind of paper version or on this kind of website, I think the the things that seem to be closer to the middle are like my E and I. The other ones I think are pretty pretty apparent. I have had. One or two times, I think, in taking this, a P or a J, which is towards the middle. Uh, but the the NT for me is, I think, always pretty prominent. You'll see, Maya, uh, and like <laughs> I've taken the test a bunch of times. It's only ever ends up differing by maybe ten to fifteen percent on any of them. But I haven't actually ended up straying from the base type that it's claiming. But like I'm notably more extroverted than I am introverted. <laughs> like um, it's 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 like seventy three percent extroverted, for example. Uh, my energy, however, I could see on a day that I'm feeling really beat or something like that. Maybe I would end up, maybe my outlook on life would be slightly different. But every time I've taken the test, it ends up working out the same. But I'm only 7% off from center on uh, the intuitive versus observant. Is that, is that the, the uh, what is that? The that's, N- the, that's the second letter. Yeah, the NRS. Yeah. yeah. And the third one, I'm pretty much commandingly thinking... Uh, the tactics. I'm about one third, one third off from center on that one. Uh, and the turbulent versus assertive. We've already talked about how I'm absurdly turbulent. <laughs> and I know that way I said that is you know stupid, but so, I am so much more turbulent on the wild card than I am assertive. So, so to close this out, here's what I'm going to leave us with. In in this tome that that is in my hands, for each personality type, there's something called blind spots and pitfalls. So I'm going to read to Brad his blind spots and pitfalls, and then Brad is going to read to me mine. Uh, or, or perhaps a, a subset of them, because there's a, a fucking whole bunch. Uh, so Brad, you know, you may focus so much on keeping things moving in fast action that you might ignore the human element, the people needs. Indeed, yeah. being so improvisation-oriented, you may miss implications in their actions. Yeah, I've really pissed people off. <laughs> And at sometimes, Brad, you may seem inconsiderate and demanding. Oh. You tend to look for the quick fix and may be impatient with longer-range solutions. Is Malia just, like, so aggressively nodding in the background right now? No, I think she's asleep already. Whatever. (laughs) All right. 
Um, and I'm just gonna give you, I'm gonna give you one more. With your extreme hunger for spontaneity, you may be seen as too irresponsible for the job. Huh. So, you know, keep that in mind. I'm gonna find you the, uh, the ENTJ here. You can, uh, you can let me know how I can, uh, avoid screwing up my whole life. Blind spots and pitfalls. Did you? Is this you here? Yeah, it's the ENTJ. Yeah. Oh yeah, ENTJ. Yeah. The ENTJ may you may overlook the human element in the drive <laughs> fraction that will achieve the goal. Oh, wow, that seems, look at uh, that. Well, this uh, that seems uh, bitingly similar. Uh, you can be bitingly critical and sarcastic, and may even seem at times cold or distant. You may resist efforts at coercion. You are hard to convince when you know what you want. <laughs> You'll be like, no, you are wrong, and here's why you're an asshole, too. Uh, now this is something I haven't seen too much. If you're overwhelmed by fear of failure, you're very confident, typically. But, you know, let's just say. Uh, you may prefer to plan rather than act, and may develop detailed plans of where they're going to go. Although, you might not end up actually acting on it. It is, it is definitely, while, while you're looking through that, I have definitely had to, since I was a kid, uh, I've, I've known that there has to be kind of a trigger point for me of like, okay, I've thought through this enough, like, now's the time to go. And it's kind of a switch that I know that I had to flip of like, now is decision time. And even if I don't do anything that exact moment, like, I've made the switch of, I've planned this out enough. I'm going to act on this plan, this is a good plan, and we're going to go forward. And that's that does take a bit of a conscious effort sometimes. They uh, may be impatient with others who see a need for further reflection and research. Indeed, once the jury is in, they are not known for resurfacing and rethinking. And this is one that's funny, given that you work for the government. They find bureauc bureaucracy frustrating with protocol and paperwork a waste of time that could be spent planning. Oh yeah, I am. I am a. <laughs> I am a fucking nightmare for for people at work that care about process. Like I am that guy who's just like, why can't we just do this? I don't care if it's illegal. We will make it legal. They may put more faith in the model, the probable sequences needed to achieve the goal, than the reality of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> Thus, and, they may uh, have, they may ignore certain things that would get in the way of implementing their vision. So yeah, that's the. Uh, I think that worked out uh, comically. So um, one now we're we're getting a little long in the tooth here. I know we we're are, behind yeah. carrying productions and all, but. Uh, so, uh, basically, the last thing I think we should... The last thing I think we're gonna do here... So we're not gonna talk about domesticated beasts. Save it. We'll save that for next time. Uh, That's basically, a teaser for the listeners. I think a nice way to toast the uh, success of, of our second full podcast experience uh, right into your ear holes is... Uh, Manchild Rick Christensen of Rookie Timbo fame here, uh, my co-host in arms... He has before him uh, three bottles of various infusions that I think I better leave it to him to explain here. Because as they are the craft of his hands and his hands alone, he must be the one to help us celebrate here. So so what I've done here is the Manchild crew uh, made some mead, which is a fermented uh, honey beverage. Uh at about uh, champagne-ish level alcohol content, maybe about 
two pounds of honey per gallon of water for brewers out there, probably about like a 1080, 1010 sort of, uh, sort of wart. Didn't uh, we, uh, as an offshoot, didn't we find out that's actually called something else by one of the brewers? Oh, yeah, uh, because we... No, 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 only if we put fruit in it. If we put fruit in oh, it, right. it's a melomel or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, melomel, yeah. yeah. So that's not this, because this was just honey. Yeah, this was just honey. So we, we had a bunch of honey sitting around from some previous experimenter, another, and uh, decided, hey, like, why don't we just make up uh, about 20 gallons of some nice mead? Uh, two pounds per gallon or so. It'll be about 12% alcohol. It'll be like a nice little tasty something or something. Oh, and maybe we'll try some infusions after that to see what flavors go well with it. So we made the mead. We put it in the keg and like we never really did any of that stuff. So and that's where Mr. Timbo comes into play. Yeah. So I said, hey, let's just take about three gallons of this stuff and some growlers and I'll bring it back down to Manchild South, otherwise known as my place near D.C., Inside of the uh, District of Criminals Beltway in Virginia. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> and uh, I'm just going to take some stuff from my garden and just do a couple infusions because I had some herbs sitting around and some other spices. So what I did was uh took that out, just uh, cut it down a little bit, added a little bit of champagne yeast to allow it to become active again uh, for bottling. And I aged these on basil, sage, and saffron. Separately. <clears throat> separately. So, like, one gallon on each of those three things. The basil and sage came directly off of my garden, which is, you know, it sounds more grandiose than it is. It's actually my porch and some plants in pots. But think about stack. leafy herbs. They don't take a whole lot of space to get lots of leaves. And the saffron. And the saffron came from Spain. You can't grow that here. It's very expensive. Yes. Probably the second most expensive by weight herb slash any kind of food on the planet. I believe second only to beluga caviar, uh, but it's kind of misleading because a little bit goes a long way. I added half a gram to a gallon of this, and it has a, I believe it will have a bold saffron flavor. I'm excited because I actually <clears throat> am apparently uncultured enough that I, off the top of my head, have a problem pinpointing what saffron tastes like. And so you're going to find that out today. That's going to be last, because I believe it may be the boldest flavor of these three. For half a gram. For half a gram and a gallon. Okay. Yeah, I'll show you the stamens later. It's, it, I'll, I'll give you a real quick, real quick overview. So um, the saffron spice is the stamen of a flower that only grows in specific kind of climates, which are mostly found in Iran and I think the south of okay. Spain sort of area, like over in the Mediterranean, like dry, arid sort of so climate. It's the pollen production, you know, member. Right. And yeah, it's just the stamen. And so it there is no easy mechanical way to harvest the spice. So it's all done by hand. So pretty much people go out in the fields and just pull the two or three stamens out of a flower uh, and, you know, harvest those because the rest of it you don't really want. So expensive because it is, ex by supply and demand reasons, the supply is extraordinarily thin. Right, because because people's time is expensive and the growing uh, areas are very limited. That, and that's a very inefficient <clears throat> way to produce something because the, pretty much the flower has to grow to full maturity right. before that particular part of it will pop out. Right, and, uh, and uh, there, it may have a very kind of like specific time window that you have to harvest yeah, it to. It just seems like a pain in the ass. And I don't know anything about the uh, life cycle of this flower, but, you know, there's some that keep growing back all year, and there's some that there's some that grow, like, one pop out once a year. I could see saffron, because of how desirable it is, probably just being a 
total pain in the ass. Yeah. And growing like three times a year max or something. I believe it is just every possible pain in the ass that you could possibly have, it has. But it's delicious, apparently, so let's try it. It's very unique. So so here's the first thing that's going to happen. So the, the... the bottle carbonation process that I attempted to use for these was really kind of an experiment in and of itself. Uh, this mead started out at about 12% alcohol by volume, and I was attempting to bottle condition it with a yeast which uh, doesn't really function past about 12%. So cut it down just a little bit with some distilled water, put just a tiny little bit of honey in there to uh, put some residual sugar into the mix so that it could achieve something like two volumes of CO2 carbonation have no idea if I was able to dial this in right with the specific yeast strain that I use. So when I open this first bottle, you're either going to hear a pop or you're going to hear nothing. And also the sound of me kind of going, aww. But the good news is, <clears throat> even if they didn't carbonate, a still mead is completely reasonable. And uh, you're just going to get just a tiny little note of some extra honey that I added to it. And as long as you didn't shake it on the way here, the yeast probably had time to settle out anyway. Oh, yeah. You're not going to really find much yeast in there, I think. Uh, I'm not seeing much, but that's not necessarily telling. So here we go. I'm just going to go ahead and pop uh, pop so the basil. B. B for basil. B for basil. Ah! A little, it, it, it popped and hissed a little, little pop bit. and that's hiss. good. All right. So I'm very I'm satisfied that this is now a slightly carbonated mead, and I actually with did basil. this right with basil. I'm not so excited about this, because for whatever reason, I don't feel that basil infusion is going to be particularly appealing. Oh, but well, I'll keep an open mind Yeah, here. keep an open mind. So, okay, now I'm, I'm quite enthused that uh, this is carbonated. I'm going to cap that back up. Oh, wow. Yeah, give that a little... It smells uh, like Italian smell. seasonings. <laughs> Yeah, you can definitely smell it. We're going to have a little cheers. You can definitely smell that honey. That's, uh, that's a strong amount of honey in, the, uh, in that mead there. Hmm. Almost comes together odd, in an oddly minty way. That's very, yeah, I was just going to say, it's got that little, like a spearmint little uh, bite yeah. on the front. That's nice and smooth, huh. though. I like that. I don't that. know if I'd want to pound this, but it's mead, so you really shouldn't do that anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, um, I think that kind of came up with a quite unique little flavor to it but I, I will say after uh, it's been probably about six months of aging on the mead it's uh it's quite nice quite nice smooth uh you don't have a whole lot of that honey harshness that you sometimes get with a, a greener mead yeah like i said it's just that uh that added a uh, somewhat unique almost minty spearmint flavor all right so now um Manchow B-Rad is uh, kindly going to wash these tasting glasses out for us so that we can move on to the uh, next tasting of the sage mead. Now, now I will say for the basil, <clears throat> I harvested what I had, which was not a huge amount of it. It was maybe like a, a handful or so of, of basil went into that gallon. So uh, it, it wasn't quite enough to really... Uh, fill up kind of the area of a, a fermenter. So for the sage, I harvested a lot. I had several large handfuls of sage leaves uh, that went into this gallon. So if uh, for no other reason, you might get a stronger sage herb flavor from this just because I added so much more. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and pop this. And uh, since one worked, I'm assuming they all did. Yeah. That was also it was a little further from the mic, but there was also an obvious hiss on that. Yeah, it, it has. There was also some effervescence to the last one, so it was a bit carbonated. Yeah, there we go. So we're just going to get a couple uh, tasters of the sage poured out here. I'm going to cap that back up. I'll also point out that these brew kids on the block, branded taster glasses, 
our uh, compliments of uh, Crocodile Dog Marketing and the fellas that uh, run run the the beer festival Brew Kids on the Block every year, uh, featuring among others uh, Man Child Brewing Company ourselves. Cheers. All right, so right off the bat, there you're definitely not getting that kind of spearminty flavor from the other one. So there's definitely something, you know, almost like <clears throat> it's hard to place. Like because I know it's sage, I can kind of grab that. But if you didn't say this was sage, I would almost think there's just something a little bit off about it. Yeah, the sa- the sage is nowhere near as kind of upfront in the flavor as as the basil. I think the basil is just more noticeable. Um. I agree. I've used sage in the past, and I think using less gave it that subtle note. Since I use so much, I think it just, it's a mild flavor that's kind of coming through more than it should. And like like I said, like, even knowing what it is, like, although I can kind of pick it out, it just kind of tastes off. Like, I don't think it's doing anything for the flavor. Mm. But it's a neat experiment. So, not saying that was disappointing, but, you know. That one didn't really, uh, that one didn't seem to do much. And, do and a lack of results is almost as telling as the res- as a strong result can That's be. That's true. So, so, so far we have a clear front runner. I think the basil, though, you know, it was interesting, uh, gave it kind of a, a strange minty kind of flavor on the front. It's not bad. It's pre- it was pretty good. Gave it a little something something. Now, this next one is really special. So this is uh, fairly unique. I don't know that I've seen a lot of uh, distilled or malted beverages with uh, with the saffron, possibly infusion. due to the cost, <laughs> possibly due to the prohibitive cost of cause, doing cause, so. Because like, if a major brewery like Dogfish decided they were gonna make you know one of their you know like thousand gallon batches or whatever they are of a beer that required a strong saffron flavor, they would probably bankrupt the saffron industry. <laughs> that may be true. Now, even if even if they could afford to do it. It would just wow. This yeah, one is, thing uh, you're gonna notice in this is that the color is just strikingly a, yellow. It's just a striking sharp yellow. Yes. Yeah, so just that little bit of saffron, about half a gram in that gallon, it made it this very bright kind of neonish yellow color. So that that has some interesting um, kind of ways that it can be used in the future for you know beer coloring. But you know, give that a whip. You're going to smell a little something different in there. Difference the word. Yeah, so give that a little taste. It's, uh... Uh... It's, it's, it's saffrony. It's, it's, uh... It's there. Yeah. So that's what saffron tastes like. I don't think I like it. You don't like it? I enjoy the either taste that of saffron. It, either that or I think it balances poorly. It may, it may be that I use too much. Um... I mean, I added a good, like a half a gram of saffron is a good bit of saffron. I mean, you can see the how lightly colored it got and all I'm that. To be honest, my first instinct when I taste when I smelled this was like, what uh, what kind of what, what, what kind of cleaner is this? <laughs> when I'm tasting it, I almost feel like hear me out on this. I'm almost feeling like the saffron's. Kind of melt, kind of negating the extra flavors from the from the honey, which since it is effectively pollen, maybe maybe it's uh maybe it's sort of canceling out certain flavors in the honey. That might just be out of nowhere. Uh, I'm coming up with this. 
And it is, because I'm making it up right now. <laughs> but uh, maybe maybe that's part of where the where I think the clash is going. Like, it's actually sort of canceling out the flavors that you get that are pleasant and mead. Yeah, I, it is much, it is very saffron forward in its flavor. Like, you are tasting saffron in this way more than you're tasting honey. So, so kind of from the beginning to the end, like, I think the basil was the mildest additional flavor, and the honey still came through. The sage, it was a mild flavor that was much stronger, and the honey didn't come through as much, and the saffron really just kind of tastes like saffron. Yeah, which I guess you might not like. Maybe I need saffron balanced in a different way. Yeah. Because what I'm getting out of this, like I said, like it almost tastes like I'm getting... I don't want to say estranging because that's the wrong word, but maybe it isn't. Like I almost feel like I'm getting the booziness out of it, mm-hmm. and that's about like the hotness. I'm getting like some of the hotness, but I'm not really getting too much substance in there. Mm-hmm. So it was a neat experiment, but I won't be needing any more of it. Yeah, unless well, you want to give me just a little bit more right now, just so that I can get an idea for what it is. Like I said, I don't think I'm liking it. I mean, I think what you might just need to do is drink a whole lot more, and then you'll start to love it. Yeah, like, if you don't care, just fill that sucker up. Well, B-Rad, I have a gallon of this. Do you know how much a gallon of this is? Because this small blue bottle, which we have not even begun to hit... That's a quarter gallon, right? I have, like, 12 of these. Because that's a... That's a equivalent. That's 16, right? Uh, this is, I think, a 12 or 16-ounce bottle. I have... I have two or three bottles that are twice this size and another bottle this size. Because a gallon would be 16 16 ounce bottle. Or is it 8? Oh I, yeah, because it's 16 128 ounces. 128 ounces, 32, right? It's 4. Yeah. That's 8. So yeah. yeah. I have a, I have a lot a pint, of If that's a pint, then you have 8 of those bottles. Uh, equivalent to 8 of these, yeah. yeah. So I have a lot of, of uh, each one of these experiments. Yeah. So... So the takeaway here is that saffron, although wildly expensive, may or may not make a refreshing beverage. <laughs> Expense may or may not improve your food. Yeah, money is not automatically <laughs> indicative of flavor. Yeah, I will make you a meal with saffron in it, which is supposed to have saffron in it at some point as a primary ingredient, and you can taste what it's supposed to be like. Like, money does not automatically... Buy you an Uber to Flavor Country. That's accurate. Now, that being said, Manchild beer is made with real money. That's what we say, yeah. So this is kind of the uh, a key, well, not a key, but that fits in with the, the that, approach. That of does mean that if we can figure out a way to <laughs> properly incorporate this in there, not only would it be made with real money, it would be made with the most valuable substance ever used in consumables. So so this was my thinking. Let, let me real quick here as we as we bring this podcast to a close. Birth of a God, which will be the third in a series of Brew Kids on the Block. Now we're talking about Brew Kids. Brew Kids on the Block beers, uh, which started with Life of a Warrior, Death of a Warrior, and then Birth of a God. I believe that saffron, at least in very a very modest amount should be a portion of the recipe of Birth of a God. And I believe that we should use its coloring along with some of the other special ingredients that we've used to give beers a bluish tint as a combination of flavors and colors to produce a bright green beer, which is extraordinarily hoppy, extraordinarily flavorful and strong. 
and will knock the socks off of beer lovers everywhere. And that, dear readers, is what we call preview. Yes. So this has been Brad and Rick also have a podcast. Yes. So, okay, hold on. Let me, I gotta, I gotta get my characteristics. I gotta sell out like real hard. Okay. Here we go. All right. You go to the Beyond Caring podcast page on all the places that the Beyond Caring podcast is played, like archive.org, Stitcher, CNN.com, Potomatic, Fox News, the Drudge Report, CNBC. Not Facebook. Not Facebook. Don't go to Facebook. Facebook is not where you go for Beyond Caring. You click the thumbs up button. Wherever it's gonna look like a thumbs up or an arrow up, pretty it's much gonna, anything that's pointed up, it's gonna be something that indicates approval. You're gonna click that probably multiple times. On Brad and Rick also have a podcast, podcast number two. Insert title here because we don't have a title yet, but we will. Number two, you're gonna click that. You're gonna upvote that. And the Beyond Caring podcast. Gonna do an upvote plus one that. Yeah, a plus one on all that. And uh, like and subscribe. And you can email us at the real Donald Trump on Twitter. Out.